Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective, and today we're looking at chapters 38, 39, and 40 of Insurgent. So where we left off, Tristed her Jesus thing, she died, she came back to life. Peter saved her life because he owed her one, basically. And we just threw out two whole books worth of character motivations for him just to serve that narrative purpose. And now she's back in abnegation land with the factionless and the dauntless that are still on our side. But she's just had a weird chat with Marcus and Marcus has been shady saying there's information that needs to be heard. We gave them information. And so now she's thinking, maybe I should go to Erudite and rescue the information so that the abnegation don't destroy the information. And I'm like, well, oh. Or you could just say, hey, Marcus, tell me the piece of information. We don't need to go on a goose chase. You said the abnegation knew what it was. It's on a file. It's on a hard disk or something. Maybe could you just tell us? Just tell a bitch, Marcus? I don't know. This whole book, it's nonsensical. And it's it's rapidly disintegrating into nonsense. So let's start chapter 38. She's trying to think about what happened with her mum when her mum rescued her on the day of the simulation attack, because Marcus just said that she was there to rescue something else, not Triss. She just got distracted by Triss. And so she's thinking back and her mum said, I didn't know what I would do when I found you, but it was always my intention to save you. That's what she thinks she said, but let's just cast our minds back to that book. Five seconds previously, she was getting drowned in a tank of water. Before that, her boyfriend got shut up with some sort of new serum, which made him turn crazy. Before that, everyone was waking up and then walking around like mindless drones and she caught a train to abnegation. I I, I don't think she'd be in the best frame of mind. And then after her mum said that, her mum died, she killed Will, her dad died, she shot Peter in the arm, she was getting choked to death by four, and then through love, they overcame the new simulation. And yet in all that, she remembers verbatim what her mum said. She remembers word for word. Uh, uh, I cannot even remember the names of half of these characters. And she says, well, my mum said, I didn't know what I would do when I found you, but it was always my intention to save you. And she's thinking, hmm, does that mean she didn't know how to save both me and the file? No, It means you're coming up with shit. Your brain's grasping at straws and you're remembering incorrectly. And she thinks, you know what? Maybe I don't 
trust myself if I'm remembering this correctly or not. So thank, thank fuck she realizes that. And then she says, I have to trust Marcus. I have to trust this guy who abused my boyfriend for years and years and years. And she says, while he has done cruel, evil things, our society is not divided into good and bad. Oh my God, this, this society again. Now it's divided into smart and nice and selfless and brave and honest. (laughs) We're not divided into good and evil. We're divided into five random character traits. And so she thinks, even though he's cruel, that doesn't mean he's lying to me. Oh my goodness gracious. One might follow the other. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. So she catches up with the gang. Christina, Uriah, Lynn, Zeke, Shauna, all our faves. And Christina's like, where have you been? We've looked all over for you. And she's like, just going for a walk. (laughs) All right. And they're like, well, we're um, just about to be told what the attack plan is. And so then there's a group of the factionless and the dauntless and Evelyn. Four's mum is about to make a big speech. And so she says, the past few weeks, we have been developing a plan to fight the erudite. And now that we have finished, we would like to share it with you. Our strategy is not pointed, but broad. There is no way to know who among the erudite supports Janine and who does not. It is therefore safer to assume that all those who do not support her have already vacated erudite headquarters. We all know that Erudite's power lies not in its people, but in its information. As long as they still possess information, (laughs) fuck me, we will never be free of them. Especially while large numbers of us are wired for simulations. Basically what she's saying is we're going to go in there and we're going to kill everyone. That's what she's saying. She says we're not going to discriminate because if they're either with us or against us, if they're still at Erudite, they're against us. Even though we know there's a spy there somehow, right? Or was Peter the spy? There was all this talk about a, a, an inside man, an agent on the inside. And oh, I don't know if that ever eventuated. I think we're just going to forget about it, honestly. I think Veronica's like, who? What? <laughs> so if Veronica doesn't care to remember it, Evelyn's not going to care. And Triss is starting to think, hmm, this is a bit suspicious. She's like, yeah, I hate the erudite, but this sounds a bit full on. It's starting to feel very end of Hunger Games for me. Like, you know, you replace one tyrant with another. That's the vibe I'm getting with Evelyn. And so then Tori, you know, as a dauntless leader, she's chiming in and she's saying, oh, I'm sorry to those of you who were shot with simulation transmitters, you'll have to remain here or you can be activated as a weapon of erudite at any time. I thought Evelyn was just announcing the plan to dauntless just now, but apparently Tori's in on it. And Lynn's like, oh no, we have to stay. And Uriah, he says, you do, babe, not us. And she goes, nah, Uriah, you got shot too. I saw it. And he goes, divergent, remember? Like full on pointing at his face, being like, remember me? I'm divergent. I thought you were trying to play it cool. I thought he was embarrassed and didn't want anyone to know. But now he's like, yeah, I'm divergent. Just in a town hall meeting, he's like, yeah, divergent over here. I'll be there. Don't worry about me. And then he's saying to Lynn, you know what? Just come. (laughs) He says, I doubt anyone will check whether you come or not. And what are the odds that she'll activate you specifically? If she knows everyone with the transmitters are staying behind, just come, which seems very foolhardy. So Tori's running the meeting. She's like, the rest of us will divide into groups mixed up of factionless and dauntless. A large group will penetrate Erudite HQ and work its way up through the building, cleansing it of Erudite's influence, aka killing them all. Several other small groups will 
get to the higher levels of the building and dispense with certain key erudite officials, AKA assassinate them. Like bitch, just come out and say it. You don't have to say dispense of and penetrate and cleanse. Just tell me you're gonna go in and shoot people up. Be real with me. Stupid Tori. Meanwhile, I'll remind you, Tori, she's just a tattoo artist. How she's been elevated up through the ranks. I mean, it's beyond me but we're now taking all our cues from someone whose main job is doing tattoos and she moonlights as a simulation instructor. And she wasn't even good at that because she couldn't even get a fucking aptitude test done properly with Tris in the room. So, I mean, should we be having her on the pedestal? I don't, I don't particularly think we should. So then Tori's starting to scream. She's saying down with Erudite and everyone's like, woohoo. Yeah, that's great. And Triss is thinking, hmm, the factionless and the dauntless are all yelling, um, bonding over a common enemy. But does that make us friends? And it's like, no, no, it doesn't make you friends. They're the factionless. They're the people that you also have abandoned. She acts like she had nothing to do with the factionless or dauntless had nothing to do with the factionless. She's like, oh, the factionless, that's crazy that they exist. Yeah, because you expelled people. The dauntless had little games for initiation. They're like, oh, if you don't play paintball well enough, if you don't capture the flag, you'll be factionless. And they actively kicked people into factionless, damning them to poverty. And she's like, wow, look at us united. But would we be friends? I wouldn't be friends with you. If I was factionless, I would not be friends with the Dauntless. Fuck that. And so everyone's chanting except for like Christina, Tobias and Triss. And Christina says, this doesn't feel right. And Lynn's like, what do you mean? Just chanting along, having a great time. She's like, don't you remember what they did to us? They you know, robbed our minds, forced us to shoot people, blah, blah, blah. And Christina says, yeah, I know. But like invading a faction's headquarters and killing everyone, isn't that what Erudite just did to abnegation? And they're like, yeah, well, potato, potato. And Triss is thinking, she has a point. It doesn't feel right. I don't know. Kill all of them. Kill all of them. Triss was just getting tested on, poked and prodded for weeks. And then when she was about to be executed, there was like 20 erudite people just sitting around playing on computers, just watching it and seeing what's going to happen. They're war criminals. They're all in on it. I'm kind of with Tori and Evelyn. Bring them down. So she goes off to Tobias's old house to get some peace and quiet. She's just staring out the window at everyone downstairs, just, you know, chanting, having fun, getting ready for the massacre tomorrow. And then Tobias comes and joins her and he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, nothing. I was just thinking, I'm surprised the factionless agreed to work with Dauntless so easy. It's not like the Dauntless were ever kind to them. Exactly. Exactly. And so maybe you should not be trusting them so easily either. This is what Veronica Roth does. I'm noticing it more and more. What she'll do is she'll have Triss notice something or have a feeling about something that's like foreshadowing something that's correct that we'll find out chapters from now. But then she immediately ignores it. She'll have a hunch and then immediately ignore it. And so when we like reread the book, we'll be like, oh, look, she was onto something. (laughs) It's so sloppy. And Four says, it's not a natural alliance, but we do have the same goal. And she's thinking, but what if goals change? The factionless want to get rid of factions and the dauntless don't. And I'm like, yeah, the dauntless is a faction. And Tobias is acting like he's never thought of that before. And so then Tobias is like, okay, well, you're with me tomorrow. You're in my group. So we'll attack together. And Triss is like, oh, about that. She says, look, I still can't fire a gun. 
After what just happened in Erudite headquarters, risking my life doesn't seem so appealing anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you just escaped. Why are you going back? And then Four's like, yeah, you know what, actually, you don't have to go. And she's like, oh, oh, but then I'll, then I'll be like a coward. And I'm like, okay, well, you just brought it up. What do you want? What do you want? Are you trying to manipulate him? Just be direct. If you don't want to go, don't go. Because now he's convincing her being like, oh, don't worry. If you don't go, it'll be fine. No one will think you're a coward. Who, ca- who cares about the cowardice at this point? She, she's proven herself enough. She's just brought herself back from the bloody dead and she's still worried if people will think she's a coward. But you know what? She is manipulating him because he says, you're the bravest person I've ever met. Stay here, let yourself mend. Have a nice day off. And then they kiss and she's thinking, whoopsie daisy, this lie, this lie is the worst I have ever told. I will never be able to take it back. And that's the end of the chapter. So clearly she's planning on doing the dirty and going off with Marcus to retrieve the floppy disk or whatever. Even though Marcus just could spit it out. Oh gosh, this book. So we start chapter 39 and Christina and Tris are putting on Amity clothing because I guess they're going to Amity. I guess Tris has recruited Christina into her little plot and she's in her old house. She says, we're in my parents' house. It was the only place I could think of to get ready. Yeah, because no one would look for you in your old house. (laughs) What a dickhead. And so she's putting on makeup. And Christina, she's been poking around the house. And Tris says, she already discovered two textbooks wedged between the dresser and the wall. Evidence of Caleb's erudite leanings. Like, fuck me, the guy can't even read a textbook. Why have school then? If the abnegation hate learning so much, why let your kids go to school at all? Oh, oh, he must be an erudite. How dare he read a book? So then Christina is doing Triss's makeup and Triss is like, makeup? I've never seen that before. What is this? She says she takes the cap off a black tube about the size of one of my fingers, revealing a red stick. And then she says, lipstick, obviously. Okay, if it's obvious, why'd you have to spell it out for us? If it's so obvious, why did you have to describe it in painstaking detail? You could have just said, she pulls out a lipstick. You know what it is. We know what it is. You're not explaining anything high concept here. She says she touches it to my mouth and dabs it until my lips are covered in color. Oh, 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 does she? So she's using lipstick. The lipstick is performing the function of lipstick. Thank you for letting us know. Far out. Not sure why they're doing this, by the way. They're just trying to disguise themselves with lipstick. Okay. Could have worn a balaclava or something, but now we're going to disguise ourselves with lipstick. Crazy. So she says, by the time we leave, I have red lips and curled eyelashes and I'm wearing a bright red dress. Oh, no one will ever know who that is. No one will ever clock that she is Beatrice Pryor. No way. No way. What a disguise. So her and Christina are going to meet Marcus behind Abnegation headquarters. So they sneak out of the house. She says, we wear black jackets to conceal most of our Amity clothing. Okay, so they they just got dressed in Amity clothing to then cover up the Amity clothing. All right, okay, so they're wearing black jackets over their disguise because they've got to disguise their disguise. This, oh, this book. Okay, so then Peter, he's obviously there and he's like, what are you two up to? And they're like, nothing, Peter. And that's it. That's the full interaction. There's like two more lines of dialogue, but ultimately it leads nowhere. And and, and we got nothing from that. I don't know why that was left in on the final draft. So then Peter walks off and they're like, all right, let's go meet up with Marcus. Fuck, be dead. 
And so then they're talking about their plan just loudly. They're wearing jackets and makeup to be discreet, but then they're loudly talking about their plan, even though they just said goodbye to Peter, who sprung up on them. (laughs) Someone else could also be listening, but okay. And so Tris says, trusting Marcus is stupid. Trying to get past the Dauntless at the fence is stupid. Going against the Dauntless and Factionless is stupid. All three combined is a different kind of stupidity, formerly unheard of by humankind. So I think that's just Veronica trying to recap for us halfway through the chapter what's going on. And Christina says, you're right, but it's the best plan we have if we want everyone to know the truth, the elusive truth. And Tris is thinking, of course, Christina cares about the truth because she came from candor where truth is important. Of course she did. She may be dauntless now, but if there's one thing I've learned through all of this, it's that we never leave our old factions behind. Actually, you do usually. That, that was the whole motto of the first book. One choice can change your life forever, faction before blood, etc. But no, we never leave our old factions behind, even though we never chose them. We're not apt for them. We could be completely ill-inclined to fit in with them, but no, we never leave them behind except for when we do. So they get to the back of Abnegation headquarters and there's Marcus waiting in a blue pickup truck. And so her and Christina hop into the truck. She's feeling a bit uncomfortable, but she's like, we've got no choice. I have to be here with this dickhead. And Marcus says, ditch those jackets, girls. So then she's got to throw the jackets out the window. (sighs) The purpose of the jackets, it eludes me. Because correct me if I'm wrong, the only person who saw them wearing the jackets was Peter. And, and, And they're just jackets? He could have seen that you're also wearing a red skirt underneath those jackets. If you were trying to hide your Amity clothes, I, th- I think you could have maybe not worn them through the walk through abnegation, perhaps. I don't know why you think a jacket's going to cover up everything. Oh, never mind. Maybe it was a big trench coat. That's, I, I'm just going to retcon everything and imagine a big trench coat. So Marcus drives off. They've got about an hour's drive until they get to the Amity farm. We still don't know why they're going to the Amity farm, but I guess it doesn't really matter. So then they get to the fence and then there's Dauntless there guarding the fence as they do. And they knock on the window, they're holding guns, they're shining bright lights in their eyes, but they're like, oh, we're Amity. So we have to pretend to be happy. So Tris puts a smile on and she's like, wow, this doesn't feel very natural. And so the Dauntless guard, he says, what's an abnegation member doing in a truck with two Amity? And I would be a bit concerned as well. I'd be suspecting foul play. But Marcus says, these two girls volunteered to bring provisions to the city and I volunteered to escort them so that they would be safe. I think they could have concocted a better story than that. I mean, aren't the importing and exporting of the provisions from the farm into the city, like, isn't that like a a, a sort of regular thing that happens all the time? It's quite regimented, I imagine. That's like the Amity's one job, so I don't know why we need two Amity to volunteer to do that. And then be coming back in the middle of the night. Why wouldn't you do it through throughout the day? And so then Christina, she pipes up and she says, also, we don't know how to drive. My dad tried to teach me years ago, but I kept confusing the gas pedal for the brake pedal. <laughs> what a disaster. Anyway, it was really nice of Joshua to volunteer to take us because it would have taken us forever otherwise. And the boxes are so heavy, blah, blah, blah. She's just trying to charm them. But also like, why, why would you volunteer to take provisions to the city if you didn't know how to drive? Also, what's with all the driving? Wouldn't you just catch the train? Oh no, the train doesn't stop. That's right. But all her babbling works because the Dauntless guy's like, all right, I get it. I get it. Okay. Do you guys intend to return to the city? And Marcus says, not anytime soon. And the Dauntless guy's like, all right, go ahead. I tell you what, this is who we've got protecting the fence. 
You've got the most famous dauntless person in all of Chicago, plus the abnegation leader, who you should know is not called Joshua. Is Marcus not the, like, prime minister or whatever? He was the head of the government. And Tris is even, like, complimenting Christina, being like, you got us out of that one, Christina. And Marcus says, well, yeah, but Joshua is not an abnegation name. And it's like, yeah, you're also famous? You're, you're the head of the government? And also, what do you mean Joshua is not an abnegation name? Like, the abnegation names that we've experienced so far are pretty normal. Caleb, Tobias, Marcus, they're all pretty standard names. I don't know why Joshua is wildly different. And also, like, if Joshua is more of, let's say, an Amity name, does that mean that someone born into Amity couldn't have transferred to abnegation without changing their name? If you were transferring into abnegation, like, and they're like, oh, sorry, Joshua. We don't call people Joshua around these parts. You're going to have to change your name to Ezekiel. What the fuck's going on? So they drive through a little bit, then they park the car and start walking in through the Amity compound. And Tris asks, like, oh, do they know what's beyond the city? And Marcus says they know about as much as the Dauntless patrols, which is that the outside world is unknown and potentially dangerous. And yet, and yet they live on, on the outside of the fence. <laughs> if I was in Amity, I'd say, hey, can we maybe scudge our compound to the inside of the fence, please? Maybe scudge us on back in there. And Tris says, how do you know what they know? Okay. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Why did you ask if you think he didn't know? You must have known that he'd know that he knew what they knew. And Marcus says, because that's what we told them. When you are entrusted with all the information, you have to decide how much other people should know. The abnegation leaders told them what we had to tell them. Now let's hope Joanna is keeping up her normal habits. So then they go into the greenhouse where they think Joanna will be. And guess what? Joanna's there. But again, this is just reinforcing the point that Marcus knows the information that they're going to go into and try and capture from Janine. Marcus, can you not just fill us in? So Joanna's picking berries and her hair is pulled back so Tris can see her scar. Because remember, she's horribly disfigured. And Joanna says, oh, I didn't think I would see you here again, Miss Pryor. And she says, is that because I'm supposed to be dead? Like she's really fucking proud of herself for being alive, isn't she? But also, no, because you were expelled? Remember Amity expelled you because you were fighting with Peter? (laughs) Maybe that's why she didn't expect you'd be back in Amity? Not everyone was keeping track of your little exploits and your exhibition to Erudite and that time you got killed and then brought back to life. Not everyone's got tabs on you, Tris. So they go and sit down and they start eating the berries that Joanna just picked. I would have probably asked if they'd been washed and cleaned prior um, or, you know, just at least a little fact check on what type of berry it is to make sure they are edible. But she's like, oh, great berries. And she just starts munching away at the berries. So then Marcus says, oh, Joanna, this is Christina. She's a candor born dauntless. So we're just telling people where they're born now. So we've got double factions. And Joanna says, welcome to Amity headquarters, Christina. And she smiles knowingly. And remember, because Joanna was from Candor as well. So Tris thinks, wow, it seems so strange that two people born in Candor could end up in such different places. Dauntless and Amity. Is it that strange though, Tris? Because there's really not that many options. I'm sure there's plenty of people who have transferred from Canada to either Amity or Dauntless. I, I don't know why that's a wild thing to think about. Oh, it's so strange. So strange that people born into a faction will change factions, even though they're given that choice at a choosing ceremony each year. What a wild, wild ride. So Joanna, she cuts to the chase and she's like, all right, why are you guys here? And so Tris says, well, um, things have gotten bad. Jay, she's not eloquent, is she? <laughs> she's not eloquent. She says, the words start to spill out without finesse or sophistication. I explain, blah, 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 everything about the erudite, blah, blah, blah. And so then Joanna, she says, okay, um, but what exactly do you want us to do? (laughs) Brutal. And then she says, well, I didn't come here to ask for your help. Um, okay, then why'd you come? Why, why would, why would you come then? I'm struggling. She just says, I thought you should know that a lot of people are going to die very soon. And I just thought you'd want to know about that. Okay, but you're also implicitly asking for help. She says, I also wanted to ask you if we can talk to the erudite you're keeping safe here. I know they're hidden, but I need access to them. So she's asking for help. (laughs) I'm not here to ask for help, but could you just do me a few favors? And Joanna's like, all right, well, have a little sleep. You can meet them tomorrow. And so the next day she wakes up and on the wall of her bedroom, wherever she slept, there's a mirror. And she's like, ah, oh, oh my God, it's a mirror. <laughs> she says, I still feel a prickle of shock whenever I see one in the open. 
Okay. Did you not live in Dauntless with Mirrors for, for like at least eight weeks or so? And have you not also been in Amity where there's mirrors before? And you've spent time in Erudite where there's mirrors before. You also went to school where there's reflective surfaces. And now she's seeing a mirror and she's like, oh, oh God, what's that? Oh, God, it's a mirror. Like, what are you, Medusa? Are you going to turn to stone as soon as you look into your reflection? Like, why are you shocked? And she says, I get dressed, not bothering to be quiet because she just assumes Christina's going to sleep through it. Fucking rude. And so she walks outside. She sees a group of Amity just like gathered around some trees. And she's like, all right, I'll go and um, sticky beak. And it's some sort of religious ceremony going on because there's this old woman and she's talking about God and who gives peace, cherishes it. So we give each other peace and then cherish that peace. Some bullshit about peace. And Tris tells us, I've never seen an Amity religious ceremony before. Wow, what do they teach in faction history these days? You'd think she'd have gone to an Amity religious ceremony before, but I guess not. She says, I'm only familiar with the religion of my parents' faction. Okay, so each of the factions have different religions now. Okay, that's something new. Okay, don't know what the purpose of that is. And so the old lady, she's like, all right, come join us. And she's like, nah, nah. And she says, no, come and join us. And she goes, nah, nah. And the old lady's like, no, come and join us, bitch. Like, get in here. And the old lady grabs her hands, stares at her and says, may the peace of God be with you, even in the midst of trouble. Okay, which is just like a nice little peace be with you type moment. It's a good mood. And Tris, she brings the mood down. She says, why would peace be with me in the midst of trouble? (laughs) She says, after everything I've done, as if, as if this person knows what she's done. (laughs) And this old lady's like, uh, it's an expression. She says, it isn't about you. It's a gift. You can't earn it or it ceases to be a gift. And Tris is like, oh, that's something to think about. So then she wanders off and she just like sits down next to a tree and just like thinks. But then we have a little paragraph break and we don't have to listen to her in a monologue about that religious experience she just had. What the hell did I just read? What, what was that about? So she says later that morning, she's walking to the greenhouse because Joanna has called an emergency meeting. So she spots Christina across the room. She sees Marcus and Joanna standing up the front. She says that Joanna has her hair pulled back and she's she's got to bring up the scar again. She's obsessed with this scar. She says the injury that gave her the scar also damaged her eye. Her pupil is so dilated, it overwhelms her iris and her left eye doesn't move with the right one when she scans the amity in front of her. Okay, thanks for that. I've got more clarity on Joanna's eyeball than I do of this whole religious thing that you just stumbled upon. So she says there's Amity in the room, but there's also people who must belong to abnegation because they have short hair. (laughs) And if (laughs) hair grows, (laughs) wild. And a few rows of people in glasses who must be erudite because they're wearing glasses and everyone in erudite wears glasses. Okay. We're clear on that. And she says, Kara is among them. And I'm thinking, who the fuck is Kara? It took me like 10 pages later to be like, oh, Kara, that's Will's sister who was erudite and she escaped to Kanda for a spell. And now she's in Amity, I guess. Anyway, that's Kara. Remember, Kara's the one that said Tris had a big nose or a little nose or said something about a nose and Tris got all offended and hurt. And I'm like, you killed her brother. <laughs> she can say whatever the fuck she wants. Anyway, so Kara's there and she's wearing glasses because she's erudite. So Joanna says, I've received a message from the city 
and I would like to communicate it to you. The Dauntless have allied with the Factionless. They intend to attack Erudite in two days' time. Their battle will be waged not against the army, but against Erudite innocence and the knowledge they have worked so hard to acquire. She says, I know that we recognize no leader, even though she effectively acts as a leader, but I'm hoping you will reconsider our previous decision to remain uninvolved. She says, our relationship with Erudite notwithstanding, we know better than any faction how essential their role in this society is. They must be protected from needless slaughter, if not because they are human beings, then because we cannot survive without them. Okay, so maybe don't put all your smart people in one faction. Uh, Just an idea. Just so you don't depend on any one faction. Don't put them all in the same faction. Jeez Louise. Meanwhile, they did not give two shits about the abnegation getting killed. They were like, oh yeah, you can wipe out that faction. (laughs) They were like, oh, government, who needs it? (laughs) We don't even have a leader in our own faction. (laughs) But Erudite, oh, we need them. They're teachers and doctors. And Triss is like, I've had enough of this because all of the Amity then have like little conversations amongst themselves. And so she just walks up to the row of Erudite. There's Kara. She stands up when Triss gets close and she's got her arms folded. And she's like, what are you doing here? Understandably, she's still a little bit annoyed with Triss. And she says, I came here to ask for help. And she goes, what? Me? I'm not going to help you. And she goes, no, not you, dummy. She says, oh, and she says, I try to forget what she said about my nose, but it's hard. So she is still pissed off about the nose comment. She's still holding a grudge, even though she killed her brother. She says, I'm not here to ask your help, dummy. I'm here to ask all of you. I have a plan to save some of your faction's data. Oh my goodness. But I need your help to save the data. And then Christina, she pops up and she says, actually, we have a plan. And I'm like, okay, Mary-Kate and Ashley, they're a duo, they're a tag team on the case. And Kara, she's like, you wanna help Erudite? I'm confused. And Christina's just like, I look, Kara, will you help us or not? And Kara's like, well, obviously. She's like, yeah, twist my arm. She goes, I'm sure everyone will help. Why not? She says, meet us in the Erudite dormitory at the end of the meeting and tell us the plan. So she says the other meeting, the meeting that they're currently in, goes for about another hour. She says her and Christina are bored. So they're just playing like games where they've got to pin down the other person's thumb. The weight of the world on their shoulders. Innocent lives going to get massacred in two days time. And they're playing little thumb games. And so then Joanna, she gets up and she makes a big announcement, even though they've all sort of agreed amongst themselves. She's like, I better make the announcement for Triss's benefit. And she says, obviously it was difficult to find agreement, but the majority of you wish to uphold our policy of uninvolvement. Joanna says, it is not my wish to encourage division in this community, but my, (laughs) oh, there's always a but, but my conscience forces me to go against this decision. Anyone else whose conscience drives them toward the city is welcome to come with me. So she says, I don't want to encourage division in the community, but I'm going to go defect and leave. And I encourage you all to also leave and come with me. (laughs) And Joanna says, I understand if this means I can't be part of Amity anymore, but please know if I have to leave you, I leave you with love rather than malice. And so then she bows and she leaves. She's encouraged division and now she's going to gap it. And so then a few of the Amity get to their feet and some follow her. She says, some of them, not many, but some are walking out behind her. And Christina says, that 
is not what I was expecting. And that's the end of that chapter. So we start chapter 40, they're in the erudite dormitory. And Christina and Tris have just finished explaining the plan. And Kara, she says, your plan is flawed. <laughs> and Tris is like, oh, well, yeah, okay. So tell us how we can fix it. You're the erudite. So obviously you think logically. And Kara says, well, first of all, this important data that you want to rescue, putting it on a disc is a ridiculous idea. Discs just end up breaking or in the wrong person's hand. Like all other physical objects, I suggest you make use of the data network. That's what I've been saying, use the cloud. So apparently they do have a cloud. And Tris says, the, the, the what network? And so then one of the others, a brown skinned young man in glasses. Okay, so that tells us everything we need to know about him apparently. Um, and even though they're all wearing glasses. So she's really just saying, he's got brown skin. It's like, okay, thank you for letting us know. Um, he says, go on, tell them. There's no reason to keep secrets anymore. And Kara says, all right, well, here's the tech. She says, many of the computers in the erudite compound are set up to access data from the computers in other factions. That's how it was so easy for Janine to run the attack simulation from a dauntless computer instead of an erudite one. And Christina's like, what? Get out of our data. Oh my God, this conversation. There's some sort of data network. It's not technically a cloud, but it's close enough to a cloud. Let's just pretend it's the cloud and they're hacking into other people's cloud. I don't, I don't know. So Kara says, the fact is the data network exists and that is ethically questionable. They're from the faction that's massacred a whole faction, but okay, it's ethically questionable, but I believe it can work to our advantage. Just as the computers can access data from other factions, they can send data to other factions. If we sent the data you wish to rescue to every other faction, destroying it all would be impossible. Okay, you've said data too many times. And Triss is like, you just said we. And she's like, well, yeah, obviously some of us are coming. You're not going to be able to navigate Erudite headquarters on your own. And we as a reader, we know that's the case because Triss, she had trouble with those hallways. She was in Erudite for a couple of weeks and she could not memorize those hallways. Mm-mm. And Christina says, you do realize that if you come with us, you might get shot and no hiding behind us because you don't want to break your glasses or whatever. And so Kara, she removes her glasses and snaps them in half. And I think that was meant to be like impactful being like, I'm not worried, but also like, do you need them to see or not? Because that's kind of unwise if you're going to go and break into a headquarters and steal some data off to some other data cloud and put that into a data network. You might need your glasses, but now she's snapping off her glasses. Oh my goodness gracious me and the glasses. Okay. She says, we've risked our lives by defecting from our faction and we will risk them again to save our faction. (laughs) Stop saying data, stop saying faction. And so then this other little pipsqueak, she says, also we have useful gadgets. And Christina's like, what kind of gadgets? And this guy, Fernando, he's brown skinned and wearing glasses. He's that guy. He says, they're just prototypes. No need to scrutinize them. And so then they just geek out showing them all these little gadgets. So Fernando, he pulls out this small little round disc. He says, I brought this from headquarters. It's not something we invented here. Were you there when they attacked the Kanda? And she's like, yeah, I was. And she says, right there. It's like, okay, again, braggy Sue. Okay, we get it. You were there. And Fernando says, remember when the glass shattered? And she's like, "Uh, yes, were you there? And he goes, no, I watched it all on tape. 
<laughs> so we had we had footage of it. Oh, we had footage of it, and I watched it on tape. Oh, okay. And he says, yeah, well, back to my point, this little disc, what you do is you throw it at a window and it breaks all of the windows nearby. It emits a signal that you can't hear, but it causes all nearby glass to shatter, which is apparently a more effective way of doing it than just shooting at the glass with bullets. And he says, you may find it rather distracting for people when all their windows shatter at once. Oh, devious. But I must say, this does actually clarify one of the questions I had previously, which was like, why are there no windows in the Kanda building? I just assumed that was always the case and they never got around to fixing the windows. But no, this little disc thingy apparently broke all the windows. Let's just roll with that. And then they pull out this other little gizmo and apparently like whoever's holding that, if they get touched, the person who touches them will be like shocked. I think it's like one of those like little buzzer things that clowns have in their hand when they shake your hand and they're like, like one of those things. It's like that, but like extended, I don't know. She says it will help the Amity have a way of defending themselves without shooting anyone. And then Triss is looking at them being like, wow, this is bloody marvelous. She's like, wow, what a hoot. All these little gadgets and gizmos are plenty. And she thinks, wow, what did my mother say about erudite? She says, this reminds me, my mum said something. She says, my mum said, I worry that your father's blustering about erudite has been to your detriment. And she thinks, I know that was a simulation. But what if she was right, even if she was just part of a simulation? It's like, no, that was clearly like in the script that Janine wrote. I wouldn't be listening to your like simulation mother for advice. But now she's looking at the erudite with new eyes and she's thinking, wow, erudite, they're actually quite helpful. Who would have known? Maybe my dad's prejudices really turned me against them. She says, my dad never told me that an erudite could offer to help me even after I killed her brother. Yeah, when would that come up, Triss? How, how would that come up? If your dad had said that to you, you would have been like, what? So then they're ready to go in that afternoon. Joanna's standing on a truck. She's like, all right, guys, let's go. So Marcus, Christina and the erudite gang that they've just become friends with, they're going to go with Joanna into the city. And when they get to the fence, she's expecting to see the guards from last night, but they're not there. She says the gate is abandoned, left open. And she's like, oh, that's worrying. It's probably never going to come up again, but she's like, oh, that's worrying. And so she says to Fernando, who's her best friend all of a sudden, she says, do you think it's already started? And he says, perhaps, perhaps not. (laughs) Janine has many informants. Someone probably told her that something was going to happen. So she called all the Dauntless forces back to Erudite headquarters. Someone told her something. (laughs) Very specific. And so then she's thinking about Caleb. And she says, oh, Fernando, um, did you ever meet someone called Caleb? And he's like, Caleb? Yeah, I know a Caleb. There was a Caleb in my initiate class. There's only one Caleb, (laughs) obviously. So he says, yes, he was quite brilliant, but also a bit of a suck up. He says there was a bit of division between initiates, those who embraced everything Janine said and those who didn't. Obviously, I was a member of the latter group. Caleb was a member of the former. Why'd you ask? And Tris is like, oh, I just just met him when I was imprisoned. I was just curious. And Fernando says, well, I wouldn't judge him too harshly. 
<laughs> she just admitted she met him in prison while she was imprisoned and about to be executed. And he's like, I wouldn't judge him too harshly. Janine can be extraordinarily persuasive to those who aren't naturally suspicious. I have always been naturally suspicious. And Tris is like, you know what? So have I. And that's the end of the chapter. Okay, so I wasn't expecting a random road trip to Amity again, but I guess that's just what we do in this book. So we've gone to Amity and now we're going to leave Amity and we're going to Erudite. Did they only go to Amity just to meet with those few Erudite people? I guess they did. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.